I arrived at hospice care at St. Francis Hospital in the middle of the day. Now, this was in the olden days. The St. Francis facility in what was, at the time, the center of town. This was the old St. Francis. It was a hospital that had been converted mostly into hospice care. This had become a bit of a routine over a four to six week time span. You see, I had become friends with a beautiful elderly gentleman of Greek descent named Sal. Sal had the most beautiful skin tone. It's dark. His facial features were like those chiseled into statues, sharp. Sal was tall and fit. He was an athlete. The occasion of our relationship was unique. I knew my friend Sal through my role as a student pastor at the church that he attended. But thankfully, our friendship grew, and it deepened. And it did so at an accelerated pace after my friend Sal was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I went to visit Sal regularly as he battled a very aggressive cancer. And I mean very aggressive, which we've learned pancreatic cancer to be. Weekly, I would make hospital visits to see any of our people who might be sick or recovering from surgery. A practice incredibly hard to imagine in our current culture, visiting the infirmed in the hospital. Sal's condition declined quickly. And so our visits now took place in hospice care. I had received word that my friend was nearing the end, and so I hurried to hospice clinging to hope that I might see my friend just one more time. His beautiful wife was there with the nurse when I arrived. Sal was basically unresponsive. The past four to six weeks had taken a terrible toll on his physical body. His dark skin, now even darker, was razor thin. His once statuesque-like features now set much deeper, gaunt-like. To hold Sal's hand was different this, this day. It was void of the strength it possessed even just a few weeks before. I sat with Sal that day for what seemed like hours. Just watching him and speaking words of love and encouragement to him. His breath eventually became more and more labored. The nurse came in to check on Sal and informed us that he wouldn't last much longer. I was a bit amazed when the nurse encouraged Sal's wife to go ahead and speak to Sal and tell him that she loved him, that she'd be okay and that it was okay for him to go ahead and go. So she did. Now I'm sitting right there. 
I'm involved in a moment of absolute sheer intimacy. She put her hands on his precious face and said, Sal, I love you. I'm going to be okay. And it's time for you to go. Now, Sal hadn't moved the entire time that I had been there. He was perfectly still. All but for his chest rising and falling. Rising and falling. But as soon as she finished uttering those words, he looked at her, his eyes finding hers. He shook his head yes, and he died. At that very moment, his spirit passed on. And I was personal witness to the Apostle Paul's description to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It was one of the most incredible and beautiful moments I have ever experienced. It was one of the most human moments of my entire lifetime. Is it odd that one of my most human experiences was sharing the end of a dear friend's entire human experience? Is there even more value to this human experience by watching it fade? I had my own humanity enriched by literally seeing it fade and end, and I was changed, so impacted in that moment by this humanness. Today, could we please spend some time wrestling with this humanity, this human experience, what it means to be human? English novelist George Orwell described it as, the essence of being human is one that does not seek perfection. Now I get that. Born a perfectionist, it hasn't been until recent years that I've began to celebrate my imperfections and then see what God would like to do with those. But isn't that the mystery here? Because in Christ, we had for a relatively short time the perfect combination, the collision of humanity and the divine. He was 100% God. He was 100% human. In John, we are told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's tough wrapping our minds around this. How can these two things coexist? In a person, in a being, in a man. Have you had truly human moments? I wonder if the list of truly human moments isn't relatively short. Well, we've been given the gift of the chance to experience one together today. On our continued journey through the last words of Christ, today we are confronted with some of the shortest of our scriptural texts. We'll be in the book of John, chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. Only two verses today. But in those only two verses... There's more to wrestle with than we even have time for today. 
Here, we again and nearly finally are reminded of Christ's humanity, the Son of God, the long-prophesied Messiah, the Savior, the God of the universe, the Creator, the sacrifice, the Lamb, the Lion, the human. Let's read our text together. It won't take us too long from John chapter 19. Verse 28 says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Today we're confronted with the very end of the crucifixion, the fading of Christ's humanity. We are literal moments from its end. I pray that this time, in this crucifixion moment, is only what God desires it to be for you and for me. Crucifixion is terrible. This morning, I don't mean to be grotesque or inappropriate. I also don't want this look at this moment to be unnecessarily soaked in guilt or shame. It can be dark and sorrowful. But there is beauty in this moment. The beauty of this being human as we prepare for the death of the only innocent man. So for a few moments, could we take a bit of a sensory tour to see how we arrived at John 19? At the most important moment in human history. This is helpful to celebrate, but it's helpful for us to remember. We need to remember. After all, Christ wanted us to live in remembrance. This is important. Why? Because we forget. Some research suggests that it only takes one generation for a culture to forget. God knows this, which is why he was and is serious about rightly raising up the next generation. God is so very serious about our young people. So must I be. So must you be. When God miraculously enabled Joshua to lead the people through the Jordan River, the first thing he told Joshua to do was to take 12 stones from the riverbed to build a memorial. But what was the memorial for? Joshua explained, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are those stones? Then you shall let your children know. The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan River before you until you had crossed over. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. We forget. Can you imagine that in Judges chapter 2? It says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel forsook the Lord God of their fathers, 
who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. Today, let's be in remembrance. Research that studies forgetting says that time plays a primary factor. Some saying now that it only takes just that one generation to forget. We are living in a modern culture where attention spans are shortened every day. There's instant answers, instant knowledge. We have instant access. So today, let's do the work to remember. Why? Because we forget. A big part of our difficulty in experiencing the humanity of this is what I consider to be a gigantic generation gap. If there's difficulty carrying forward memory or fact or tradition in just successive generations, how much then must there be in a span of two millennia? Depending on your math, that's about 80 generations. So for 80 generations, we've been removed from the accuracy and impact of this moment. So for a brief moment, join me for a tour to celebrate and to remember. As we walk the dirt streetways approaching town, it is hot, oppressively so. The dirt is caked to our sweat coat feet and legs. There's a dusty film that is formed on our eyelids and in our cheeks. There is a mud packed in the corner of our mouths. We are in need of water. As we near town, there are many sights to behold, but it's oddly difficult to see right now. There's been a strange darkness for a while. The streets are lined to the left and to the right with the crucified. It's criminals. The sentenced. In this place, in this time, this is a form of execution. This was final punishment. But it was also an example, a hopeful deterrent to those who might consider unlawful ways. There are families and there are friends gathered. There are soldiers poised, watchful. There are also many sounds to behold. Listen with me for them. There are loved ones grieving. They're crying. They're weeping. Listen. There's a sound of wailing this is a sound of despair. Listen with me. And, and oh, did you catch that? That sound of birds in flight. That auditory flapping of wings from crows and from ravens. These are birds in a predatory mode, circling and waiting. Listen. 
There are cries coming from those being crucified. There's crying, there's anguish, pain, there's terror. And these sounds have surely been made for hours upon hours. This is a very cruel and slow death. Now we've clamored our way through the hustle and the bustle to the place of the skull known as Golgotha. And now what a sight to behold. We've come upon a cross that stands centered between two others. Holding a man that's now only a version of himself. He is nearly unrecognizable. Is this what the prophet Isaiah meant when he said that his visage was marred more than any man? He sounds almost as if he's drowning. Listen. He is naked. We see he is bruised. He is badly beaten. His body is literally out of joint. He is coated in dirt, saliva, and blood. He is wearing a makeshift crown with a sign above his head that says something about a king. And then while we listen audibly, we hear this man utter the words, I am thirsty. Which in the moment, humanly, makes perfect sense. We're thirsty too. We have journeyed through oppressive desert-like heat to arrive here today. But this has to be a different sort of thirst. This is not a bout with cotton mouth. It is extreme and torturous. This is pronounced dehydration. This man has lost significant blood and bodily fluid. This must have been what the psalmist was speaking about when he said, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted inside of me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and the, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. This man is truly physically thirsty and he is fading. We've all thirsted, haven't we? All of us. Thirst doesn't discriminate. But this is a physical reaction, almost a consequence of sorts. Looking, we see a soldier respond by dipping a sponge in a jar and lift it up to this man's lips. Is the soldier being kind? Is he feeling for this man? I can't tell. Is he doing this as a mockery? Is that liquid to numb the pain? Is it just a drink the soldiers have had at their disposal the entire day? No, I think it's from a jar of vinegar and wine they've offered up to him. It appears diluted, but with or by what? Who knows? And that's a stalk of the hyssop plant they're reaching with. That takes us way back to the days of Passover, doesn't it? Our families used that to sprinkle blood on the doorposts. It's an important part and symbol of a covenant and promise with our God. 
It appears labors for this man to even take that drink. He is clearly near his end. He looks like he is painfully positioning his body as if he wants to say just one more thing. Thankfully, he has wet his throat enough to be able to speak again. Just one more human utterance. Beloved, what a tragically beautiful story. We know, we believe this was the true king. This is Jesus. And to this day, it is absolutely foundational for us to know and celebrate that Jesus was completely God, but completely human. How could the living water thirst? He could accurately say, I quench and I thirst. Now, I'll confess, I do believe this. I don't understand it completely, but I believe it. And this is not just some story. This is not a t-shirt design. This is not some painting, just a song or a bumper sticker or a really cool tattoo graphic. My futile attempt to take us to the foot of the cross is an attempt to remember and celebrate a story that was written in the very beginning of time and was beautifully working itself out detail by every detail. From Genesis to Psalms to Isaiah. From Matthew to Mark to Luke through John in Acts and the letter to the Romans to write this very moment. Now, there are just a few ideas or threads I like to pull from our time and our text together today. Firstly, I want to celebrate the sheer credibility of Christ's human life. In a commentary by Constable, it said that Jesus said he was thirsty, and this authenticated his true humanity. Here's what I find so very amazing, exciting, and reassuring from this evidence about our Savior. I can only pray that you might as well. We have no greater advocate anywhere or at any time than we have in Jesus. He gets it. Like no one else ever can, what it means to be human. He is in this with us. At no point was he somehow acting or performing the role of a human. He experienced humanity his entire human life. He played as a child. He ran and raced about with family and friends. He no doubt fell down, fell down, getting bumps and scratches and scrapes. He sat at the meal table, enduring ancient, awkward conversations. He worked hard, really hard. He knew financial need. He tasted relational struggles and trials. He made friends. He made enemies. He experienced great personal loss, grieving loss. He knew public humiliation and absolute rejection right up until his very last human moment. He knew 
Philippians chapter 2 teaches us, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I don't know all that Jesus saw, experienced, and endured, obviously. And I don't know all that you have seen, are seeing. I don't know all that you've experienced or are experiencing. Or what you have endured or what you are enduring. But I cannot imagine that there is a single thing that you have gone through, are going through, or will go through that Christ doesn't understand and wants to understand. Jesus is our greatest ambassador, advocate, and friend. The book of 1 John reminds us, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In the midst of our utter humanity, don't we all just want someone to sit and listen and understand? He is that person. In his book, Living the Cross-Centered Life, author C.J. Mahaney stated, the personal desolation Christ is experiencing on the cross is what you and I should be experiencing. But instead, Jesus is bearing it and bearing it all alone. Why alone? He's alone so that we might never be alone. Secondly, this morning, I pray that we can remember what God incarnate in human form did for us, what Emmanuel, God with us, accomplished. He has ultimate credibility and integrity. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. In our text, verse 28 states that knowing that everything had now been finished, with each step to the cross, Jesus was fulfilling centuries of prophecy and scripture. From the Psalms, it said, for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. From the Psalms, it says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And from the book of Isaiah, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. But I think a way that we can remember is to not shy away from the humanity of the cross. We need to linger there. There's a shadow of protection there. The apostle Paul was zealous to teach us that the cross was all we're supposed to be about. When he taught but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, if you're like me, and you are, you need to visit this sacred place daily to not shy away. It's uncomfortable, I know. I need to die every day to myself every day. 
Following Jesus means following him to the cross and dying daily. Christian writer Dallas Willard so perceptively stated, he died so we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Jesus did not go to the cross so we wouldn't have to. He went so we could join him there. From Matthew chapter 16, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Which even in this meaningful moment with his closest followers, Jesus wasn't trying to cash in on some spiritual lesson. He was leveraging his own humanity and was asking his disciples to do the same thing. I've never heard God audibly speak to me, but I can tell you that over this past year, I have heard the Holy Spirit whispering to me, Mark, die to that. Your pride, die to that. Your agenda, die to that. Your desire for attention, die to that. Your need to get the credit, die to that. Your humanity, die to that. Lastly, I'm praying that we all, in the midst of our humanity, can begin to rest in the security of our identity in the one whose human end was our very beginning. What Jesus did settled it. That was enough. And he is enough. This morning, can we surrender to this truth? Can we grow to be secure enough in that that we can find the time to rest at the foot of the cross and die there daily? May we discover the beauty of our God-given humanity and remember and honor Christ as he relinquished his. Once more, John 19 and 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty.